As we long to return to normalcy in so many ways and long to be able to return to our church home here at 415 Paseo del Mar, I thought it would be good to consider our hearts where all real home longing is centered. Last week, we considered the theme lost and found as we affirmed that there are times for each of us when we are lost and found and that no matter what happens, God never lets us completely go and is always there to restore us to God's self. Today, we explore the reality of finding your way within the framework of the hearts returning all within our quest for God. Finding your way, sometimes it's a piece of cake, like finding your way to the grocery store, and we all know how to do that. To work, to an in-town relative's house, to the refrigerator at home, or to the bathroom at night. Many things in your life, finding your way is a relatively easy thing. But other times, and in other ways, finding your way can be very difficult indeed. I'm also sure most of you have had experiences of trying to find your way, only to become frustrated and uncertain of where you are. When I first moved here to Palos Verdes several years ago, I was very reliant on my smartphone for directions. Unfortunately, there are a number of places on the hill where cell reception is not very good and my GPS didn't function. And so I got lost on numerous occasions and at times became fairly frustrated. Roads here are not straight or grid-like. I think that finding your way spiritually and sometimes emotionally can be a bit like that. Some of the analogies between driving and the spiritual life are worth considering. There can be difficulties, obstacles, roadblocks and detours and no clear directions on where you need to go. Choices are involved at each intersection and fork in the road. Our spiritual and very life choices are so important as well. On this journey we call life, there are many similarities for us as Christians, but there is no settled rule. Each one of us must find for ourselves the way that leads us deepest into the presence and reality of God. Jesus offers us clues, but he was seldom prescriptive as to exactly how to do it. Rather, he often used the form of parables to be provocative and encouraging. Thus, last week, we looked at the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And today, we are focusing on the curious parable of the dishonest steward that Michael read for us a few minutes ago. None of the characters represent God and the main figure begins in the parable as incompetent and about to lose his job and ends with flagrant dishonesty. As the story begins, he has wasted his master's money. We don't know whether he spent it on himself or what. And we see how by the end, he feathers his own nest just when it appears there would be no nest at all. The master, not Jesus, commended his shrewdness. It is important to note that neither the master nor Jesus commended his dishonesty. You see, he settled all the accounts of those who owed his master by lowering the amount, 
which was not honest or fair to his master. The steward acted with prompt foresight. Jesus may well have been saying to his disciples and to us, if only my followers would do as much with higher motives. The steward faced facts. He did not pity or deceive himself. He sized up the situation and realized he could not save himself once he lost his job and that he would need the help of others. Last week, I suggested that there are some who do not feel a need to be saved. This man knew he would have to turn to his friends and business colleagues for help. Don't you see how quickly and effectively the steward moved to take care of his physical needs? And yet look how casual we can be about our spiritual needs and the condition of our soul. Often when someone takes up a new sport like like golf, they take lessons, read books, and play every time they get a chance. But notice how often many of us forget our regular prayer life or think we'll get around to reading the Bible or a Christian growth book later, but seldom do. The steward looked ahead and planned an earthly future. What do we look toward? Most of us believe in savings accounts, pension plans, annuities, insurance, and other kinds of preparedness in this life. But what about our longer, larger, eternal life? At memorial services, we often hear John 14, where Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. What does that mean for us today when we are pretty sure we have many more days and even years before we die? In his book, Your Money in Changing Times, author Larry Burkett points out that there are more than 700 verses in the Bible dealing with money or possessions, and that over two-thirds of the parables of Jesus were concerned with money or possessions. Jesus knew how the hearts of people would be torn between him and money. And he made it clear that we must not only choose between serving God and money, but we must also act responsibly with the money we have. And in verses 8 and 9 of our text, we read this. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. The parable of the dishonest steward is hard to interpret. When the text says, when it is gone, that means when your life is over, they will welcome you into the eternal home. Could Jesus mean, as he does elsewhere throughout Luke's gospel, that we are to give to the poor? Eternal homes, as the text says, is the obvious contrast 
to the physical houses into which the steward was received by those who profited from his dishonesty. Jesus was setting up a striking reversal. Help the poor now in this world, and they will help you in the next. Blessed are you poor, says Jesus in Luke 6.20, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is pointing us to live in compassion and insight as part of our hearts returning and reorienting. For he sees that the larger world is encompassing our world. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus saw the broader vision of God's self-giving, caring love, where debts and ledgers are not kept forever, but where God's abundance is for all. A minister's wife had missed his sermon because she had a bad cold, and when he returned home, she asked him, what did you preach about? The sermon said, the rich should give to the poor, he said. Did it go over well with the congregation, she asked. About 50-50, he said. I convinced the poor. (laughs) Well, Jesus has been trying to move the other half ever since, but it's been slow going. No one likes to part with their earthly goods. Finding your way. It can be complicated, and it certainly involves more than what this morning's text is challenging us with, the wise and appropriate use and stewardship of money. But finding your way does not require less than what we're struggling with today either. And then Jesus follows up the strange parable of the dishonest steward with this saying in verses 10 through 13. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for a servant will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and wealth. How we handle such a fleeting thing as money is one of the things that measures our genuine faithfulness to God. And that the little things in life really do count. Things like honesty, integrity, simple gestures of kindness and caring and sharing. Could it be that money is a training ground for real living? As we struggle with the right use of money in life, God wants our complete loyalty. I think most of us have convinced ourselves that we can hold both together and that God comes first. But if Jesus were here today, I suspect he might jolt us by encouraging us to do an allocation analysis of where we spend our money and how much time we spend worrying about money, investing, buying, dreaming, etc. versus how much time we spend on God. You see, no matter how much we think we can balance the two, 
Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and wealth. Friends, we must recognize our true condition and the fact that sometimes we are far away from God and God's intentions. Maybe not in our feelings, but in our behaviors. And when we see that, only then do we long to begin the journey of the heart's returning to God and to our true selves. The journey can be long and one of struggle. If we would return to God, the path ultimately leads through the center of our very souls. We must withdraw from ourselves and the love of things to our deepest center where we can recover our true selves by freedom from anxiety, fear, and inordinate desire. And when we do, we must learn to grow out of ourselves to God and to others and grace-filled giving. In closing words, from Diane Carey, I'd like to share this thought from her book, All the Seasons of Mercy, and then a one-liner from Yogi Berra. O Christ, all who call you Savior are pilgrims, following one who never stands still. Your way leads through rough and smooth terrain. Sometimes your path is seldom used, overgrown, unpopular, and sometimes it's well-trodden. But always as our way unfolds, we need the light which only you can shed upon our path. When we are tempted to detour from your direction or to stagnate in dead ends, give us courage and renew our faith that the journey of our lives does indeed lead to the promised land of God's kingdom. And Yogi Berra said, if you don't know where you're headed, you'll probably get there. Our focus is on God's kingdom, both here and now and in all that is beyond. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Finding your way in the way of Christ. It is our journey for today and for the rest of our lives. So be it. And amen.